I'm Jamie Lewis, a food and drink writer based in San Luis Obispo, California. And this is Consumed, a podcast about eaters, drinkers, makers, and thinkers across California and at its heart, the Central Coast. Thank you for listening. Consumed is sponsored by my friends at Slow Life Magazine. I remember when Slow Life first came out, it was a skinny but mighty magazine intent on sharing the stories of people who live, work, play, and give in San Luis Obispo. Today, the magazine is no longer skinny at all. It packs loads of interviews, information, inspiring stories, and my food column, which covers dining trends up and down the coast. Find Slow Life in your mailbox every other month by subscribing at slowlifemagazine.com. Aaron Holden is a home beekeeper in Atascadero, California, as well as the president of the Central Coast Beekeepers Alliance, whose mission is to foster the health and well-being of honeybees by supporting best beekeeping practices through networking, education, and raising public awareness. She came to my kitchen table to discuss the beekeeping life, which can really seem like a mystery to those of us who have no idea how honey is made or harvested. Erin shares her vast knowledge with listeners, including how honey is actually bee regurgitation, how angry Brazilian bees can ruin a party, and how when it comes to the queen bee, if mama isn't happy, nobody else is either. Erin is also a full-time ER nurse and mother of two children under the age of three, so we talk a little bit about that too. Here's my chat with Erin Holden. So Erin, we just met and uh, you got in touch with me because you are the president of the Central Coast Beekeeping Association. Did I say that right? Well, we go by Alliance on oh, our Facebook okay. page yeah, and then our bank statements say association. <laughs> well, then so. that's what it is. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So is Facebook the best way for people to learn about you? Probably. We do have a website though, but um, the Facebook is Central Coast Beekeepers Alliance SLO. So you yeah. got to look up the whole thing to find us. There is a Central Coast Beekeepers page that's in active so we okay. don't keep that up to date and then um we do have a website okay so central What's coast um beekeepers.net okay so okay good yeah so how did you get into beekeeping yeah um i kind of like the homesteady thing so we've got the chickens i have a horse we um got the dogs and the cats and i love goats i've worked with goats before but that was just too. yeah they're so fun mm-hmm. but it was just one more big animal we didn't need. Didn't need another vet bill. Didn't need to be buying hay and feed. Um, yeah. So I think the bees just kind of were an easier thing to add in, but just really interesting, very intricate. The more you read about them, the more details you read about them. Mm. Just super, super interesting. You didn't grow up doing it? No, not at all. Okay. I started about five years ago. We we're going into our fifth year of beekeeping, mm-hmm. and I would say... Um, I read and read and read forever and just tried to do as much research as I could. And then it just gets to the point, well, you just have to do it. Yeah. So um, found some really good mentors in the club before I became president mm-hmm. and um, a really great guy who helped us get started. Got our, um, his name's John Hupp. Okay. He's not involved very much anymore. We have another John who's wonderful, John Chestnut, who is very active and he's an amazing mentor for us. Mm-hmm. So he's out in Los Osos and um, we have meetings at his house and whatnot. And people from all over the county? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We represent pretty much Paso um, as far south as AG. We do have mm-hmm. um, another excellent um, mentor beekeeper down in Napomo. Um, but there is a Santa Maria Bee Club and a Lompoc Bee Club. So I think they mm-hmm. probably cover that area down there. Yeah. yeah. But, do, you, um, do you see a lot of difference between 
this is a ridiculous question because I know that the answer is yes. Do you see a lot of difference between the honey coming from, say, AG versus Paso versus a Tuscadero? Yeah, you're going to. Just um, bees will fly about a three mile radius to mm-hmm. harvest nectar to bring back. And of course, whatever they're bringing back is what dictates the flavor of the honey. Yeah. Um, and then it's different throughout the season. So I can have one hive on my property that is a really, really light color in the beginning of the season. And then if they um, keep that comb of honey later on in the season, the whole second half will be a completely different color because it's Mm. a different forage they're going after. Mm. So even one hive can bring in completely different flavors of honey as well. And what makes it light and dark? Is it, is there a property to the things that they're foraging for that makes it light versus dark? Or is it their like life cycle at that point? Nope. It's just whatever they're harvesting. So like right now it's eucalyptus is really big, especially on the Mm -hmm. coast. So a lot of the eucalyptus honey um, is going to be a different color than what we get later in the summer in North County, which is a lot of the toy on honey, which is a lot Mm -hmm. of the darker stuff and a lot thicker, a lot stickier. So, wow. Yeah. Interesting. And eucalyptus honey. I I have never thought about that. Yeah, big As, blooming one, big blooming plant wow. for our area. Yeah, I grew up in Napomo, and eucalyptus is, or at least when I was growing up, it was everywhere. Right. And uh, yeah, I never considered what's the difference between the way eucalyptus honey tastes versus, say, just wildflower or orange blossom. Well, because I'm in North County and I don't get too much eucalyptus honey, I guess I can't say for sure. Oh, okay. So, but yeah. um, it, it's such a good source that our beekeepers on the coast will say that nectar is dripping out of those flowers when oh. it's in bloom. It's just such a good source for the bees out there. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to taste that because yeah. I, what I immediately <laughs> think is that it's got that sagey, um, almost herbaceous kind of right. character. Right. To yeah. Kind of like what the leaves itself would yeah. smell like in a way. Yeah. yeah. How many hives do you have? Um, right now we have four. Mm-hmm. So, um, this past weekend we got another one. So that brought us up to four for the season because I'm just a hobbyist beekeeper, four to five, six tops is plenty for me. It's a lot of work. Um, and I've got two kids under three. <laughs> so, oh my yeah. word. <laughs> so wow. last year was a little, a little tedious to get through yeah. the season and do everything you need to do to keep the bees alive. Cause if you're not doing the proper steps by the end of the year, they could easily die over the winter. What are the proper steps at the end of the year? So the big thing is, um, one, you're making sure you're not taking too much honey. They need to have enough food to get through the season. Um, and through the winter where they're not harvesting because it's, it's, the flowers aren't there for them to be yeah. collecting. So they need to have food left over or you're going to take it all and you're going to supplement them with maybe a sugar water or some mm-hmm. type of sugar patty and then feed them through the winter. Mm-hmm. So you can go that route. But um, one of the biggest struggles for bees is the mite. It's um, a little tiny insect that feeds off of the fat body of the bee. Wow. So they actually are attached to the bee. They're crawling around. They suck off um, the bee's fat body at every life stage. So a bee goes from a larva to a pupa to an adult body, and they will uh, weaken the bee by feeding off of them. And they can also um, make the bee more uh, prone to getting certain types of viral and bacterial infections. I hate mites. And I'm going to say why. (laughs) I mean, you can see this plant over in the corner of the living room here is just covered in them. I don't know why I, well, I'm lazy. And so I leave it there, even though I know it could totally infect all the rest of my plants. Yeah mites and they're all over the hibiscus out here driving me crazy yeah they're all just about well i don't know about every species but i think almost a lot a lot a lot of species of animals and plants have their own problem with specific mites yeah i would never have thought of that with bees yeah yeah definitely does that have anything to do with all of the colony collapse do you think um it can yeah so colony collapse disorder isn't a fully understood problem um and but definitely for us as 
beekeepers in this, well, all over California, all over the United States, yeah. is a big problem with mites. So if you're not treating your mites by August, September, you could very easily end up having your colony die throughout the wintertime because you weren't on top of that population load. Yeah. And how do you treat that? Is it an oil or something like that? There's different treatments. Um, So some people like to think that there's a really, really holistic approach by doing just what's called a sugar, uh, a powdered sugar wash. So you're essentially... um, dumping powdered sugar all over your hive. The bees take the powdered sugar and they end up getting coated. Their entire bodies end up getting coated with it. They're um, grooming themselves, cleaning themselves, and then they knock the mites off. Wow. So that's one technique, which um, a lot of professional beekeepers don't bother with. They need to go a little larger scale. So there's lots of different chemical treatments. Mm-hmm. Some are completely organic, though, still. Um, so one of the big ones is oxalic, but oxalic acid comes from plants. So some people think mm-hmm. oxalic is just totally poisoning. It sounds bad. Right. I mean, yeah, it's right. just the, it's got a marketing problem. Yes. Yeah. So um, there's different ways to use that. There's um, liquid drips you dribble on the top. There's uh, vaporizers you put in and you vaporize the hive. There's strips that are impregnated that you um, insert in the hive and leave for a certain amount of time. So lots of different ways. But if you're going to be a beekeeper, you have to be <laughs> on top of your mites yeah. if you want your, your bees to last through the winter. Yeah. So It sounds also like uh, honey collection is a seasonal thing. I yes. mean, I it, for as much as I think about how food is you know, raised, grown, um, and consumed, I really had not thought about honey as being such a seasonal item. Yeah. Yeah. I guess most people probably think you can just grab it whenever you want throughout the entire year. But, um, here right now, the coast is really ramping up, um, Mm -hmm. for the area. So again, they've got all that eucalyptus blooming and, um, the North County is about a month behind Mm -hmm. in their production. So you're going to start being able to harvest April, May, maybe June, and then slowing back down come August, September, Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're going to take everything and again, feed them through the winter. Right. So. Do you love your bees? They're fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think of them like pets? No, I <laughs> guess don't not. Name each no, we, we, we joke that we name our Queens because yeah. each hive has one queen. So, um, I worked with a beekeeper and helped him get a, um, a hive out of a house and he took the whole hive and my middle name's Elizabeth. And I said, well, can you name the queen Elizabeth? <laughs> because you're keeping them, but at least name them after me. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And how many bees are there roughly for each hive? In a, in the busy season, so now that we're ramping up, the queen's laying more eggs. She's laying up to 2,000 eggs a day in the busiest wow. time of the year. So come June, July, there can be hundreds of thousands of bees. Mm-hmm. And then she stops laying because, again, there isn't going to be a food supply coming up in the wintertime, fall and winter. So she decreases laying eggs. The bee population drops. And then come um, uh, December and January, you're going to have a lot less bees in the hive, yeah. maybe only 50,000 to 100,000, depending on how big they were in the first place. Yeah. How long does a bee live? Um, the queen bee can live up to five years. But wow, really? Yeah. yeah. But there are a lot of um, reasons to replace your queen. So they, she may not lay appropriately or lay enough to keep the hive really, really um, pumping and active. If she's older. Yeah, if she's mm-hmm. older. So a lot of people will actually pinch off their queens and kill them and replace and buy a queen because you can buy just a single queen and replace them. Um, All of her female offspring are the worker bees. So the ones that are out there harvesting honey. And um, so every bee you see on a flower is a female bee. Mm. They live up to 40 to 60 days, depending on the season. 
And then the male bees, the drones, they're only there to mate with a queen. And um, they still have the same lifespan, but at the end of the season, they're kicked out of the hive because they're just freeloaders. There's no reason to keep the males because all they're going to do is eat. There's nothing to mate with. So they actually, all the females will kick them out and they die in the wintertime. It's rough to be a drone. So, So they get kicked out and they die. Yeah. Unless they've mated and then they die during mating. Yeah, this is primal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets deep. <laughs> it gets real deep. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I was going to ask you about how you know how did you grow up? What what was the trajectory to get you from there to here? Yeah, um, I grew up in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. Mountain View near San Jose. Oh man, that's a that's one of the least homesteady places yes. I can think of. Yeah, yeah, and definitely like all the little orchard shops that were there when I was growing up are totally gone, and yeah. <laughs> condominiums and whatnot now. Yeah. But um. I, ironically, I'd completely forgotten my, my grandmother had beehives in Sacramento. Oh, really? And we didn't go out there very often, but you know, it took me until I had bees to even remember that. That's <laughs> so, so, funny. so I guess at least that part was implanted there. Yeah. But um, I moved here in 2000 to go to Cal Poly and mm-hmm. was an animal science major. So, animal science, yeah, anything so this animal. Too and, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I never took the beekeeping class at Poly, though. My roommate did. And, mm-hmm. Just, um, we've worked with some of the teachers there. They've come and lectured for our club. And so they're a great source for us, but I got stuck here after I met my husband and yeah. stuck stayed. here. I Listen know. to you. I know. No, I, I hear it's funny <laughs> when we talk about this place, a lot of people think they would say it that way. And other people say, I got to stay. I mean, it's, it's interesting. The choice of words I know that I'm everybody lucky, has. And yeah. I wouldn't go back to the Bay area, yeah. but I had planned on leaving. Yeah. But I met him before I graduated and we're happy here. And yeah, so he's local. He's a local boy. And yeah, so it's worked. <laughs> yeah. That's what I, I married a Cal Poly grad yeah. also. Yeah. And I think I, I, well, I know that I had plans to live elsewhere, mm-hmm. but we wound up here yeah. and we're very happy. Yeah. Where did you want to go? What were you thinking you'd do? I thought I wanted to go to Colorado. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have really wanted to go. I've been, and I liked it. Um, now vacationing through Oregon and Washington. I love that. Yes. And one of my roommates moved up to Washington. So I love visiting, mm-hmm. but again, I don't know if I could tolerate that much rain. Yeah. I love the rain. I love it when it's wet here and we never get enough, but that might be too much. So yeah. it's hard to say for sure. Yeah. And yeah. you did animal science. What were you thinking mm-hmm. you might do with that? I was pre-vet at first. Then I realized I didn't want to spend more money and I did not, I was mm-hmm. not a straight A student and I was fine with that. And I was okay with not being pre-vet anymore. So mm-hmm. I ended up um, becoming a registered vet tech for about six years oh, at right one of the on. local hospitals. So yeah. I still used it and that was a great job. And, but now I'm a nurse. So, oh, you are. Yeah, I went back to nursing school or went back to school to become a nurse at uh, Cuesta and yeah, yeah, so. which is a really great program. Yep. I know. Mm-hmm. So wait, are you, so you're full time Yes, and you have bees Yes, <laughs> and goats and chickens. Well, I we never ended said. up with the goats. The bees oh. were instead of, so. Oh, instead. Yeah. More, more <laughs> or less, I guess. Yeah. And then, and two little ones. Yes. Yep. Still wow. on maternity leave. So I've got. You are. Yeah. I still get to. Take a little vacation and at least get my bees established right now before I go back to work. Yeah. And thanks for giving up time to talk to me during your, I mean, I remember those days are precious. You got to get out of the house though. That's true. (laughs) You got to get out. Good on you for getting (laughs) out of the house. Yes. Yeah. And you are in a Tascadero? Yes. Mm -hmm. A Tascadero. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, when you first, I mean, there's that fateful moment when you first have to go in and harvest the honey. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So, um, I wasn't sure how we were going to get our bees that I knew what options we had, but I wanted to go as cheap as possible and try and get free bees. So one of the ways you can do that is, um, 
finding somebody that has bees established in their home or a shed or in a tree. Um, Wait, when you say in their home, you mean like inside the house? Yeah. So this family, theirs were in the floor full floorboards of their closet. So we thought they were on in the purpose? wall. Uh, the bees were there on purpose, but <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Yeah. Yeah. The people had, I think they said they were there for two or three years wow. and they just wanted them out. They were going to do a little bit of remodeling, but didn't want to kill them, which is great. A lot of people don't want to kill these bees, which is yeah. good um, yeah. because that was the old way just get an exterminator out there. So, mm-hmm. um, so we, uh, plastered off or uh, plasticed off all the doorways and we bought paint suits from Home Depot because we didn't have bee suits yet my husband and I hey that worked yeah we had veils at least to keep our faces protected and he's a con- into construction he does mm-hmm. construction so he was able to rip up the carpet cut into the floorboard rip it open and found a huge colony of bees um, then you take all that comb you transfer it into your boxes and get to take it home. Wow. <laughs> so it took, I think 10 hours the first day of work, oh which word. was, and it was hot, you know, it was like 90 plus. And, and you just take the plastic, like, like a big plastic bag full of bees. When nope. you, how do you actually get, Oh, just by bringing the comb. Yep. That's enough. Each sheet of comb is transferred into the wooden frames. Okay. So the wooden frames, um, you wrap rubber bands around them and then you slide them in and then they're a little bit loose. You actually leave the hive there for about a week so that the bees can hopefully attach it. And so you don't drive home and have everything fall apart, mm-hmm. but the comb, um, just transfers, um, into, into those little sheets, bring it back. A lot of the honey we ended up just harvesting because it's hard to put that sticky, wet stuff you've cut apart into the hive. You'll make a huge mess, but they'll make more anyway. Um, and yeah, and then that's a free way to get bees and any, most of those jobs I do now, I have to be paid. (laughs) I've, I've learned it's a specific skill. It's quite the changes every time the setting changes. Yes. Uh All of the factors change. Yeah. So we've cut out of, um, one of the churches had a mobile building with a school. So we went in and they were behind the light fixtures. I've gotten bees out of, um, so scary. I'm sorry. It's It's like, I love bees, but then you think of them in the wrong context and it's like oh yeah it's a lot to get used to at first when they're flying around your face and on your hands and you do get stung and going up your pant legs or oh yeah my gosh that is a particular phobia yeah yeah or when it's really hot in a tascadero and there's sweat running down your back and you don't know if it's a bee on your back have you looked like a total weirdo Uh, like just grabbing it what you think is a bee oh yeah for sure yeah Yeah. there's been running in our backyard and yeah you take your veil (laughs) off and then all of a sudden the bee that was you made angry is chasing you a little bit and yeah um so when you went in the first time did you get stung that first time? Yeah, um, not too many times. I I think the first thing that day was I took my veil off and was getting a little too cocky. Yeah. I got stung right in the forehead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and then I think my husband got stung in the hands because you're in there, your hands are just covered in bees anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's easier to work in like kitchen gloves, latex kitchen gloves. They're yeah. a little thicker, but they can still sting through them. Yeah. They can sting through leather gloves anyway. They can? Mm-hmm. If they're really working hard at it, they can get yeah. to you through leather. So it's easier for the dexterity though to work in the latex gloves. Do they sting because they're threatened? Is yeah. that the only reason? Yeah, or you step on them and you injure them yeah. uh, essentially. Um but yeah, that you're going in and you're invading their privacy and Yeah. <laughs> so. It's amazing. I mean, it's animal husbandry. Doing this is such an incredible thing. I don't think of insects generally that way. Um but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to work with them and I yeah. I 
constantly come back to the way that we civilized as people was through ag, right? Get finding a way to use what we have and organize it in such a way that we can benefit from it. And so this is just a great example of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was looking back at my notes because I do teach beekeeping classes and reminding myself that the first beekeepers that they discovered um, proof of was like 400 AD. Yeah. So, and they didn't uh, patent the first beehives until around the 1850s. So they've got that entire span of just doing it all these different ways and collecting the honey. And most of the times they would have to kill the entire hive. They didn't have ways of just harvesting honey without... Killing everybody. Decimating it. Yeah. They would use like a sulfur smoke usually at the end of the season and kill everybody and start all over. Wow. And and it's always been a delicacy, right? It's been something that's valued. It's not just, it's not like everybody has a ton of it. Right. Yeah. Definitely a specialty product and a specialty Mm -hmm. skill anyway. Um, But yeah, you look at now all the stories of all the honey coming out of China that's completely fake. And so what is that? I don't know about that. There's actually a really good Netflix special on it. I can't remember the name. Obviously, your viewers will know. We'll find find it. It's it's a really good one. They do avocados and bees and all sorts of different Mm -hmm. subjects. But um, because it is such a good money making, but there isn't enough coming out and is available. So they've started mixing in sugar waters and calling it honey or saying it's from one region when it's not. It's from a completely different region. Mm -hmm. So there's actually a lot of really interesting testing they do here in the States where they can check the pollen that's left behind in the honey and say... Well, that's not from a tree from that region. So, of yeah. course, it's not the right honey or you're lying or whatnot. Fascinating. So, yeah. Uh, I have done some writing for uh, a farm here that farms uh, greens and other vegetables to be put into supplements. Mm. And they are in competition with China as well. Mm. And there is a lot of tracing back that happens. Although, I think what you're talking about might be easier to trace even than what he's, what my, my um, client is doing. But I, I think I've taken for granted all of the different laws and protocol that are put in place so that we're protected Mm -hmm. with our import and export with our, with our import. Um, and so, yeah, that's a really good example of how you need to know where your stuff is coming from. Yeah. That it's actually what they say it is. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, so when you teach these beekeeping classes, Mm -hmm. I mean, what does that entail? How long are those and what kind of things do you teach? Yeah. So I started doing them at my house, um, so that people could have a hands-on opportunity because that was something I never had. And I thought that would be really uh, beneficial to people that were getting started. So we spend usually about the first hour just talking about equipment and how to get bees and just all that technical stuff. And then we get suited up and go in the hive for about an hour. People can touch as much as they want. And some wow. people want to do a lot. And some people don't want to touch anything, but yeah. want to stand there and get their Facebook picture taken or Instagram <laughs> picture taken holding the frames. But that's great too. Um, and then I do teach, um, this year I've got four classes scheduled with the local libraries, mm-hmm. two hour PowerPoint, which yeah. is almost in a way besides the hands-on part, that's great. It's almost better the PowerPoint. Cause I can just show pictures of like close up and you can see the actual little details that are hard to just talk about in theory. Yeah. So, and it's controlled, you know, it's yeah. going to look the same every yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're teaching those, are they on the Facebook page? I or? do post. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So anybody who is interested in, do you call it like intro to beekeeping? Yeah, basically like beekeeping for beginners. Um, the four classes for the libraries are already posted. The next one's the first one's coming up next month mm-hmm. um, at the Atascadero Library on February fifteenth. Okay, so great. Yeah, um, when people come and take these classes, have you seen them be successful with 
with going forward and getting their own hives? Some people, yep, they come and they join the club also after the fact because the club just keeps people informed with so many different things, which is great. So many good lectures that we are lucky to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but they come and they tell us that they got their first hive and that it's been going well or not going well, or they get their questions answered. And, um, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's neat to see That's people cool. doing it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So can you describe, I, I did a story on honey once, but it was so long ago that I kind of forget how honey, how a bee makes honey. Sure. I do remember because I've told my kids this before, isn't it basically their vomit? Uh-huh. <laughs> to some extent. You got to yep. tell a kid something like that. Right. Guess what I just found yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. So the um, foraging bees, bees can't fly until they're about 20 days old. So when they hatch, they stay in the hive and they're nurse bees, we call them. When they start flying, they become forager bees and they're out and they collect uh, nectar from whatever flowers available in that three mile radius. Uh, they bring it back. They collect the nectar in a special stomach they have, like um, a specific honey stomach that's mm. different than their true stomach. It has special enzymes that break down the nectar, break down the sugars to specific qualities. They take that and they regurgitate it into uh, one of the nurse bees' mouths that's in the hive. That nurse bee will regurgitate up to 10 times into other bees' mouths over and over and over again. Wow. And it keeps getting broken down in each of their special stomachs with those enzymes until they regurgitate it into each of those little tiny cells. Over and over. Yep. Wow. Yeah. They don't just bring it in once and then throw it up. Yeah. <laughs> it's over and over again. And then and it gets mixed together then, right? With different... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So there's not just, hmm. you know, not just your lavender nectar right. in one little cup. It might have all sorts of different nectar in it. It reminds me of the Solera system for making sherry or okay. like a double barrel system for brewing beer. It's it's a very similar thing, only this is in the body of a little bee. Yeah, and blend so in. Cool. Yeah. And yeah. then it's not the right consistency until they uh, dehydrate it. So they're in there and they flap their wings and they dehydrate it because the water content's too high at first. Mm-hmm. They need to bring it down to a certain level and, and it'll make it a certain viscosity and edible to us. Then they cap it with a little bit of wax, which preserves it indefinitely because they found honey in the Egyptian tombs. Really? Yeah, that's still edible. And Who got to eat that? Yeah, yeah <laughs> only one lucky person. Yeah, really? Yeah. That's amazing. So um, if you harvest honey too early before it's capped, it could ferment because the water content could right. be too high. So you have to make sure you're harvesting at the right time. Hmm. And why, what, what makes them want to flap their wings and dehydrate it? I mean, what's the benefit to them? Well, they'll, it'll also ferment in their hive if it's not the right consistency. Ah, so okay. it will ferment, it will turn into alcohols. It will rot essentially. Mm-hmm. It'll probably even, um, I know in the wintertime you can start getting mold growth on some mm-hmm. of your honey if it's not the right consistency. So that's not going to be healthy for them mm-hmm. either. So they can preserve it just right at the right level. And why do they want it? I mean, do they feed off of it as well? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they eat it. Uh, and again, that's what keeps them sustained throughout the winter. Okay. It's their uh, carbohydrate source. And then they feed it to um, the queen is uh, that she eats some of that. And they also um, use it to feed the babies. But most of the offspring are fed bee brood, which is um, from pollen. So they're also out there collecting pollen, which is their protein source. Mm. So they also need all their amino acids, just like every other animal out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're making bee brood, uh, bee bread, excuse me, there we go, bee bread to yeah. feed the brood. Um, mm. So they eat that, mix it with honey, they make a special little compound, and then they act, vomit that also into the little larva who goes around and eats that. So much vomiting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. That's so fascinating. 
and they want it. Do you train, essentially, do you train them to make more than they need? Is there a way to encourage that? Yes. Okay. So there's things you do. You make sure they have enough room to do it at the beginning of the season. So also in the winter, because there aren't as many bees, we usually take boxes away. You're used to seeing maybe three or four boxes high out in the summertime fields. If, uh, because their population drops, if they have all four boxes, that's way too much room to keep warm. They could freeze. Mm -hmm. Luckily we're not as cold as Minnesota or whatnot, where they're actually insulating their entire hives because they're in four feet of snow. Um, but you usually get rid of boxes and then come the springtime, you're adding boxes back on. So they have room to put that honey. Wow. Yeah. That's, there's a lot of management. Yes. Yeah. More than I realized when I started. Yeah. What are some of the, what are some of the mistakes you've made? Um, well, so if you don't give them those boxes, they'll have a tendency to swarm. So they'll think that they're, they've run out of room. And usually what triggers a swarming, um, tendency is that they can't smell the queen anymore. The queen produces her own pheromone. She walks around. The pheromone is on her feet. And as she walks, she spreads it in her little path. They walk over her path and spread that pheromone more and more throughout the hive. Mm -hmm. If all the bees can't smell that, they may think either the queen's not there, she's sick, or there just isn't enough room. We're running out of room. We need to leave and we need to find a bigger home. Mm-hmm. So you'll have about 60% of the bees swarm and leave with their queen usually. Oh, wow. And they leave behind about 40% and they leave behind um, eggs that are going to become queens or larvae that will become queens because they don't want that hive to just die. They want to ensure that hive will survive, but they go off and find a new home. So swarming is great. It can, it's good. It can be good for the environment, but your neighbors aren't really going to like it very much potentially if that swarm lands on their car or right right on their deck or, or decides to be under, be behind a light fixture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually moves in officially. Right. Um, so that's, you know, the biggest mistakes I think every year is I tend to, I don't know if, I think maybe one year I've not had swarms. Are you just afraid of them getting a freezing and so you keep them in a smaller space? No, it's been, well, especially last year, I got pregnant in February. So it was just oh, like instance. one of those things that I was just too busy or not feeling well enough to manage. Yeah. Um, and, but so pure laziness in a way, unfortunately. No, no, no. no. Busy. But yeah. Yeah. So um, you just have to be on top of it in the right time of year. And, or if you're lucky, you can catch your swarm. So I've definitely had mm-hmm. my own bees swarm into my own yard and I've been able to catch it. And now that one hive has become two hives. So that oh. can work really well too. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're getting lots of honey. I mean, the first time you harvested it, what did you do with that comb and with that honey? Um, well, we probably didn't get very much the first year because I think our first year was one of the dearths that we had. So we call it a dearth when there hasn't been enough rain and there isn't enough forage oh, for them. Yeah. So there's been years where there's been dearths and then... Um, lots of years like that. Yes, unfortunately, more yeah. and more. So I think that first year we probably didn't get too much, but we got a lot out of that floorboard. So we ate a lot of that ourselves and mm-hmm. I do a lot of baking, so definitely bake with it. And that's yeah. fun. Um, and then over the years, I've been able to sell a lot. And So I was going to ask, yeah. do you sell? Yeah, I try to. Um, I've sold to some restaurants. Yeah. And I do a lot of cut comb. So I'll sell the whole honeycomb, which a lot of people don't do. Um, and that's been really fun to yeah. sell. It's actually easier, too, because I don't have the mess of straining honey and spinning. and You have to strain it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is that to keep it from being full I, well, of wax? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at, Aaron brought me some beautiful dark honey with comb in it, which I, honeycomb is one of my all time favorite things to eat. Perfect. <laughs> it's chewy. It's almost like honey candy. Yeah. Um, and so does your family eat a lot of that? Not too much. Um, 
honey is not my favorite thing in the world. No. I know. I, was, I know. I was hesitant <laughs> to share, but I like it. I'll eat it. But like, I don't put honey. I don't eat honey every day yeah. by any means. Um, I like it and I like to bake with it or yeah. maybe put it like on some chicken Dijon kind of thing. Is it more about keeping the bees that interest yeah, you? Yeah. And we've got a garden, so it's nice to know yeah. they're pollinating and, and it's just fun. It's just interesting. People like knowing you're a beekeeper and I like yeah. teaching people about it because I like just doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so you talk about your garden. I mean, did you see a difference when you started bringing bees in? Did you some see some of the flower, some of the plants? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, our squash definitely seemed to do a lot better. And, um, some plants don't need bees at all to be pollinated. So hmm. they just do it on their own, but it's fun to see the bees out there anyway. Yeah. But then it can also be burdensome if they're too close to your garden and you're trying to garden and then you make them mad and, and you have <laughs> little kids running around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so sure. yeah, there's been days when I've had to not garden because my bees didn't want me to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So bossy bees. Yeah. Um, I can't believe you don't like honey. I mean, I actually, I can believe it. There are a lot of people, it's a specific taste. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very specific taste and not everybody likes it. I don't think I liked it until, um, I didn't love it until I, I stopped eating cane sugar about mm-hmm. eight years ago, yeah. seven, eight years ago. And I use honey for everything yeah. and I've developed a taste right. for it. You needed sure. a replacement. Yeah. 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 And so this honey that you've got here is really dark. Tell me about why it's dark. Whatever they were foraging, um, a lot of the North County dark honeys, um, are toy on bushes, mm-hmm. um, late harvest, uh, for them, late blooming plants. So mm-hmm. that's kind of nice later in the year. They still have something to go eat off of. Um, that was from a house in Paso that we harvested from uh, bees from a utility box in the ground. Wow! So we collected them on Saturday and then they had a bunch of honey left over from last summer and we were able to take the extra and still give them a whole bunch. Yeah. Um, and this was in late fall or something like that? Probably maybe even, um, July, August. Yeah. So, okay. So when you, um, with the honeycomb, when you sell it, you break it up into chunks about this big. What is it like? Two by two? Usually like by that? a pound. I'll sell it a okay. dollar an ounce essentially. Um, wow. so a, a, a 16 ounces, one pound is maybe four by five. Mm-hmm. So it's heavy. So yeah. you don't even realize when, you know, people are like, yeah, I'll take a pound of honey. And then you give them a, you know, a half pint jar and they're just kind of like, Oh well, yeah, sorry. It's heavy stuff. It so, is yeah, heavy it's dense. stuff. Totally. So, and the more, um, some honeys are a lot denser than others, a lot thicker and really, yeah depending on what they're eating and foraging. Yeah. Yeah. And on their little wings, their wing power, I suppose to right to dehydrated or, uh, well, it needs to be dehydrated to a certain point anyway. So, um, some honeys get away with higher percentages of uh, moisture content than Mm -hmm. others, depending on, um, what that nectar was in the first place. But usually it's about, um, I want to say 10 or 12%. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, you say that you don't necessarily love the taste of honey, but what kinds of things are you baking with it? Um, anything. I mean, you can replace sugar with honey yeah. to certain extents on anything. You have to be careful because they say, you know, the water, the water content still there compared yes. to sugar. Sugar is a dry product. I guess my favorite thing to do with honey really is to eat it with cheese. What <laughs> so, kind of cheese? Blue. Now we're talking. Breeze, stronger tasting. Yeah. Spicy. Yeah. Totally. But anything. Yeah. Aged cheddars, aged goudas. Yeah. You just, whatever. <laughs> I like that plan yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a chef in town here who, um, I asked for a story. I asked her to do a milkshake. Uh, we were looking for kind of off the wall milkshake ideas and she did a honey olive oil milkshake Ooh. with vanilla. Um, and she drizzled the honey and the olive oil on the inside of a mm. frozen glass. So it kind of, um, 
crystallized and kept its shape. And then she put the milkshake inside. It was just gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Very pretty. And there's so much opportunity, like I say on here all the time, because of where we live, we have honey all the time. Yeah. We have produce all the time. Um, just from right here. Yep. So when you sell, do you sell to the public ever? Yes. Mm-hmm. You do. Okay. Yeah. Not just to restaurants. Yeah. It's through my house. Usually okay. the restaurants are nice cause they can buy in bulk and you can move it quicker and not have your yeah. kitchen counter covered in, in honey and right. product is laying around, but it'll last. So if I don't sell it right away, it doesn't matter. I yeah. can store it and it won't go anywhere. That's so, so great. And yeah. who do you sell to? Um, I've sold to the hatch before, okay. um, fish gaucho a couple years ago, bought some also, um, so those have been my biggest ones. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, Eric at the Hatch has come to our bee club meetings a few times. And so I met up with him there and he was great. And yeah, now he actually has his own bees. So maybe that's why he slowed down on my purchases. <laughs> but <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they probably use it for their cocktails. Yeah, that I'm was thinking. the most thing they were yeah. using it for. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Well, so your husband, you say is in construction. Uh-huh. You met here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And did he go to Cal Poly? No, he's older than I am, but he didn't go to Cal Poly yeah. anyway. Um, we met on old fashioned AOL. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. That's, that's vintage. I know. Not a dating site, not a dating site, yeah. but AOL when, yeah, when you would have your little profile and you could search for people in a certain age range and certain. No, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I love hearing about people meeting on match.com or some right. like older kind of sites. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so funny. yeah, he lived in Atascadero and I drove, I was still in Cal Poly and never been to Atascadero before <laughs> and Get met him for here. a date and. It worked. I never would have met him any other way. I wasn't going to be going to a Tascadero anytime soon and yeah. the age difference. And so <laughs> it worked. <laughs> and your kids, um, you have two little ones. Yeah. Boy and a girl. girl uh, two or? boys. Yeah. Vaughn will be three in March and Reed was born in November. Very cool. Yeah. And they, now, am I right? You can't, um, little, little ones under can't one. have honey. Oh, right. under one. Yeah. Okay. Under one because of the risk of botulism. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. And are they into honey? Are you letting Yeah, them Vaughn know? loves honey. Yeah. Yeah. If it's, cool. you know, sticky little spots on the counter, he's got his fingers all in it and he ate it in his yogurt this morning. That's another good way. Yes. Greek yogurt with honey I love totally. Yeah. 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 Maybe some almonds on there or yeah. something like mm-hmm. that. So what's next for you? I mean, what are the ways you want to see this association or the alliance grow, change? I mean, as president, you probably have some goals. Yeah, yeah. We meet up um in we met up in January, our leadership team, and um we always want to try and um come up with new lectures every month. We meet the third Monday of every month. So we just had our first lecture and um next one's coming up in February, of course. Um, so it's nice to have new people lecturing for us, get different points of views, um, that we always tend to have some of the same basic topics because it's beekeeping doesn't change right. much year from yes. year. And, and you have new bees come in that want to learn. Yeah, yeah. And you need to make sure those people understand they've got to treat those mites and not let them fail and then be discouraged. So, yeah. um, but we do have some mead making classes. Oh, I was going to ask year. you about mead. Yeah. Um, one of our, um, swarm coordinators, um, Tim Ball is going to be leading a mead making class for us this year. We don't have the date set yet, but what that does a be swarm fun. coordinator mean? Yeah, so um, we have two swarm coordinators because I mentioned all those swarms that happen, but um, because they're out in the community and people don't want to just kill those bees, they want those bees to find a home. So they're usually calling somebody in our club or checking our um, our website. You can mm-hmm. list a swarm on there, and a club member can come out and get the bees for you. That's super cool. So for listeners who maybe that they encounter that on their property or somewhere else, and you say that you, you hook people up with a swarm coordinator who 
takes care of that swarm, but also can give you the honey, right? And the comb from, if there's, if there's a, an active hive. Yeah. If they're an established hive for sure. Yeah. We can go in and get the active hive, but a swarm isn't going to have any honey. It's just a cluster of bees. Right. right. Sorry. That's yeah, right. Yeah. But, um, so we get hundreds of swarm calls literally every year and mm-hmm. it gives our club members an opportunity to get free bees also. Yeah. So that's true. That's yeah. a benefit. Mm-hmm. You just have to be careful that we do have some more aggressive bees out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Africanized bees are in the community. You have to make sure that you know what you're doing and you're what not. What does just... that mean? Africanized bees. So um, back in, I want to say the fifties in Brazil, they were breeding different species of bees. There's different breeds of bees. So you can get bees that have different tendencies. So mm-hmm. some bees are more docile than others. Some bees bring in more honey than others. Some bring in more pollen than others. So they were breeding um, to try and get a good honey producing bee out there. And uh, somebody wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing and let the hives escape technically. Um, escape into the wild of Brazil and they have really, really aggressive tendencies. Those bees can actually take over a hive, kill a queen and take over that colony and then become an Africanized colony. And they've been moving North ever since the fifties, essentially. So I think they reached America in the eighties and then they have reached California and they tend to be ground dwelling bees. Mm -hmm. Uh, They usually like those utility boxes. So this hive that I just got was very nice. But when I take that home, I'm going to, I'm probably going to just get a new queen kill that queen by a nice docile queen and replace it just because that safety. will change the nature of the whole yep. hive. Yeah. Cause that, uh, that one queen is mated specifically and her uh, behaviors are passed to her offspring. So if you don't like the way your hive's behaving, then you just get rid of mama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can take a little while to turn over though, because, um, that queen that was aggressive has already laid all her offspring and now it's going to take 20 plus days for those offspring to hatch and your new queen needs to lay bees. Mm. Um, so it takes a little while to turn over. So you have to realize that as well. Wow. These super aggressive bees, can you tell what they look like from just looking at them? Not with the naked eye. There are, um, you can send in samples of your bees. I think to UC Davis does yeah, the probably. testing. Yeah. So they actually can measure the length of legs or wings. I can't remember which it is, but there's certain, degrees of measurements that they check and they can say whether they're Africanized or not. Wow. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's doing DNA testing on them anyway. Well, I mean, that would be a logical next step for sure. Yeah. Wow. So they can be nasty, nasty bees. So you have to be careful with what you're doing out there. Nasty bees. Yeah. Yeah. Anger management bees. (laughs) Um, I always ask people what they would eat for their last meal. Do you have ideas? And if it incorporates honey, which now I'm kind of beginning to doubt that it does. It's not going to incorporate honey. (laughs) I know. Well, what would it be? Um, Indian food. Oh, girl, talk to me. Yeah. Like, what, what are well, your favorite I'm from dishes? from the Bay Area, so yeah. I just went home a few weeks ago. I'm like, yep, the solidifies Indian buffet for lunch. <laughs> Definitely. Totally. Yep, love my Papa Dom bread. Yep. Love the butter chicken. All Samosas. Of yep. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for reaching out to me, getting in touch with me, because I know you wanted people to learn about beekeeping and yeah. how easy it is to do here. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to Consumed. It is a labor of love, and I appreciate anyone willing to give me their ears for an hour. Consumed is edited by Chris Lambert. If you have ideas for guests I should interview on Consumed, please visit the contact page at letsgetconsumed.com and be sure to sign up for the Consumed newsletter. Until next time, this is Jamie Lewis. Thanks for getting Consumed with me. Consumed.